Do you ever come across some great flights for a vacation, but you're just not sure if it'll line up with your schedule? Luckily, App in the Air has a feature called Price Hold, which helps travelers stabilize their flight costs when they are unsure of future travel dates. Users can opt to hold a specified ticket price for a range of flight options during a future booking window by paying a small fee. Unlike other services that require you to freeze a specific flight itinerary, Pricehold grants travelers the ultimate flexibility with no airline carrier restrictions and flexible itinerary options. Check out App in the Air and get 20% off of your next flight, up to $50 off per booking, when you book directly through the app by using the code GEOBREEZE at checkout. Thank you to App in the Air for partnering with this episode of the GEOBREEZE Travel Podcast. Welcome to the GeoBreeze Travel Podcast, a show for anyone wanting to level up their travel hacking lifestyle. I'm your host, Julia Menez. I'm a travel hacker, coach, speaker, Filipina-American ENTJ who loves solid travel gear and using shortcuts on spreadsheets. On this show, I'm on a mission to bring you travel hackers from all walks of life to help you level up your travel hacking game. We dive into credit cards, miles, points, strategy, mindset, and the secrets behind how to travel the world for next to no cost. So let's get hacking. We're trying to shift the dialogue from influencer-led to service-based. It's easy to follow influencers like me, and you can follow everything that I do to a T, but we're trying to empower and build points confidence so that the next generation of users can figure out their own goals and be able to use points that make sense for their, their life. Um, and to your point, you know, if you don't value using points on a first-class trip because you're not interested in that, that's okay. But as long as you know both sides of the coin, if my biggest tip is treat your points like you would with cash. And I want to make sure that people understand that it's not monopoly money and that you shouldn't just kind of throw it away. It's like, oh, here's a $25 gift card. You're you're overpaying for something that you probably wouldn't have done so if you knew that it had higher value. Hey there, points people. You just heard a clip from Albert Shea from Jet Albert. Albert is a senior marketing professional and experienced brand strategist with a focus on global brand management, marketing, and commercial strategizing in the aviation industry. He has experience working with JetBlue, China Airlines, and the private jet company XOJet. And he is the founder of Foxtrot Dash, a fintech company that provides recommendations on the best ways to use your points and miles. In this episode, Albert and I discuss when to use cash versus points on a booking, different strategies for earning points, and how to decide what to do with your hard-earned points so you don't go into analysis paralysis. If you are new to points and miles, all of this can seem overwhelming. And if you're looking for a no-fee starter card that lets you earn 5x points on special rotating categories each month, check out the Chase Freedom Flex. Additionally, if you combine the points with a Chase Sapphire account, you can use all of the combined points for travel to get a higher value out of each point. Remember, if you decide to apply for the Chase cards or any other card, never apply directly through Google. Always use a friend or creator's referral link. If you are interested in supporting this show when you apply for your next card, check out geobreezetravel.com cards. And we also have links to the Chase Freedom Flex and Chase Sapphire preferred for you in the show notes as well. And now, on with the show. Hey, Albert, welcome to the Geobreeze Travel Podcast. Thank you so much, Julia, for having me and congratulations on your 100th podcast. What a huge milestone. I'm so proud of you. And I know I speak for so many of your fans that have followed you for so long in your journey. It's really incredible to see your growth. Thank you so much. 
That means so much to me. And I know that we've been following each other from very early days, probably when my Instagram just started. You're just one of my favorite ones. I think I saw your page because somebody else recommended it. And it was like, love at first sight. I was like, oh my God, it's just so beautiful. This is like what the travel of my dreams is like for anybody who doesn't follow Albert already at Jet Albert. Oh my God, it's like the most beautiful Instagram feed of plane interiors and hotels. Just go there. You'll know what I'm talking about. So tell us a little bit about yourself and how did you get into the world of not just points and miles, but also just aviation and hotels and how do you get access to all of these cabins? Because there's so many like beautiful, empty, first class cabins. How are you getting everybody to duck in their chairs or getting access to these before (laughs) everyone else boards? How are you doing this? I appreciate the kind words, Julia, and the aesthetic is something that's really important to me. Instagram is a visual forum and I love showing the, I don't want to say the, the sort of a single side of travel and aviation, because what you see on Instagram, certainly there's a reality behind that and getting to that place as you, as, as your question. But as far as your comments about it, I, I spend a lot of time curating the feed and it's something I'm really proud of. So I'm, I'm glad that I can inspire you and as many people who are interested in following. But my name is Albert Shea. I am based in San Francisco and I'm the founder and CEO of Foxtrot Dash. That is my passion. That's my startup right now. And we've been, we've launched a year now. We're approaching our one year mark and we've been in development for longer than that. I have to attribute my story of being in the points world to my dad. He worked at United Airlines for 30 years and retired with them. So we were a traveling family from a very young age. I grew up in the travel space, so I was obsessed with aviation from a very young age. And together as a family, we flew to all parts of the world from Egypt. My background is Taiwanese, so we go to Taiwan every year. I still have a lot of family there, and I really wanted to be in his footsteps, so I studied aviation advertising in undergrad. And then I worked at JetBlue for about for almost 10 years. Then I worked at China Airlines. I worked at ExoJet, which is a private jet company, which is now part of VistaJet. And then finally, I worked at Westfield Building Terminals at LAX. So that's kind of a little bit about me and my background in the aviation space. I'm deeply obsessed and I will, I'm a self-nominated ad geek. I did not realize that there was an undergraduate major specifically for marketing and advertising (laughs) for the aviation industry. That's amazing. Well, actually, it's not. But because I was so obsessed with it, I I majored in aviation. And then I majored in aviation and separately in advertising. And so I just kind of married the two, which is why I went into JetBlue branding. But San Jose State University, shout out Spartans, there's an aviation program there. And they actually partnered with United Airlines and they still have a flight team out there. It's a very, you know, a lot of people know about Embry-Riddle, but San Jose State University has a very big aviation program. And that's why I went there. And and so I, I did sort of the operation side of things. I understand a lot about sort of revenue management with airlines and the commercial side of things. So I sort of married the two together. Perfect. And were you already into points and miles this whole time? Or did you learn about the loyalty aspect of aviation later? The loyalty side of aviation has has always been something I've been very fascinated by. When you look at like United Mileage Plus and these really historic programs, 
American Advantage has been around since the 70s and 60s. And so I coined them as the originators of virtual currencies. When you look at loyalty points, yes, we have crypto these days, but in terms of virtual currencies and the utility behind it, loyalty programs have have really trailblazed what that means. And so I've always been fascinated by loyalty programs and United being where my dad worked. I got a firsthand look at how loyalty programs worked. And that's always been really amazing to me. So when I worked at JetBlue and when they created the True Blue program, you know, Mosaic, which is what you see today, that was that wasn't around before. Status tiers was not a thing at JetBlue. They wanted to be sort of an airline for all, and they were a value carrier. So you know, I I was part of the conversations when those types of early on decisions were made with Dave Canty. With Dave Canty, yeah, Dave is. Um, I worked on a on a team by him, but yeah, Dave was part of that uh, that sort of. I worked at JetBlue on the on the brand team in 2011, 2012. And yes, Dave was already part of the, the story there. I didn't realize that the same person made SPG loyalty program and JetBlue's TrueBlue program. He's now behind Built. That's a whole nother story. But I didn't realize it was like the same guy making a whole bunch of the different loyalty programs that we've loved throughout the world. So fun fact for everyone. I didn't know that either, actually. And Dave is so smart. And when he spoke, it was, you know, I mean, he he still inspires me. I follow him on LinkedIn. And it's great to see that he's continued to add his skill set to programs like Built now. Yeah. So how about the loyalty side from credit cards? When did you start getting to that? Was it at the around the same time where you were like, well, we can use loyalty points to get people to fly on our airline. Also, people are kind of doing this with credit cards. When did you start getting into that game? Being an aviation fanatic, my whole goal, and still is, is how to experience all the different airlines and products of the world. And what's funny is I I, I saw loyalty programs and credit cards as a means to get there, but I was never as deeply passionate about the financial sort of health of it all until the last 10 years, right? So having a dad who worked at United, I flew a lot of United for most of my life. And I was like, well, what else, uh, what else is out there? And so that's when, you know, I'm going to date myself, but that's when Instagram became a thing. And that's when blogging became sort of an idea. And so one mile at a time really helped influence and helped me understand that was like a means to get there. So I would say in 2000 and, uh, you know, right around college in 2005, I got my first credit card. It was a, this is sort of the naive college kid that I was, but I got a Universal Studios credit, the, 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 the theme park. And I was like, this is so cool. I'm going to go to theme parks for free. It was like, I put my college tuition on it. It was like very, it was like super, I was like, it was cute of me to do all that. But my first real credit card actually was with JetBlue. I got the JetBlue American Express card. And the reason why I got that is because I worked at JetBlue and they had employee deals. When you're 18 and 19, you you know, it was very hard to get an American Express card, but they lowered the entry of barrier for employees. So I got a JetBlue American Express card and that's what really helped me build my credit. So then I eventually opened up a US Airways dividend miles card and I did my first big points booking in 2012. So I would say for the last 10 to 15 years, I've really been plugged into credit cards and loyalty programs and understanding what that sort of virtual currency looks like. Over the years, how has your strategy of using points evolved? Like back in the day, you were using points to go to theme parks. And then (laughs) tell us a little bit about your first big trip and then 
how has your strategy kind of evolved and how do you think about points now versus back then? Yeah, I love this question. I love talking about points and it's amazing to see over the last 15 years how points bookings have evolved. I, you know, that's a reflection of, I think, reward programs as well. It's so much more complicated to do things these days. The, the value of points have really sort of shifted a lot too. My first big points booking, I was looking at this because for this podcast, on October 14th of 2012, I made my first booking. It was for 120,000 US Airways dividend miles. I flew from JFK. This is going to be a very long routing because I was, I just wanted to fly everywhere. I flew JFK to LAX to Seoul to Bangkok to Taipei. So that was one leg. Then I flew from Taipei to Bangkok to Brussels to London to Toronto to JFK. So it was around the world booking for first class, 120,000 miles and $183 in taxes, including a $50 award fee. And that's what I did for Halloween of 2012. It was amazing. I flew Asiana's 747 in first class. I flew Thai Airways in first class. I flew Air Canada. That was kind of my my first big award booking. That is a big first award booking. Do you still try to go that big with every booking these days? Or these days are you just like, oh, I have some points. We'll do just across country, across the U.S., we're just going to go a little bit more simple now, or or is it still like go big or go home with your points bookings these days? It's a little bit of both. I think if I'm going to carve out the time to travel and visit somewhere exotic, I'm definitely going to go all out. I was over May and June of this summer, I went to, I traveled for about eight weeks. I went to Dubai for three weeks. I went to Korea for one week, and then I was in Taipei for about four weeks. And so my travel these days, and I think it's really been influenced by COVID, I'm no longer in the sort of mindset of trying to go to five destinations in two weeks. I think that for me is sort of a thing of the past. I love being in one place for a week or two weeks and then moving on to the next one. In the thick of COVID, I realized that traveling to many destinations in one trip was quite difficult, right? Because borders weren't open yet. Um, entry requirements have been changing on a daily basis. So it was really hard to keep track. So the easiest option was choose a destination and really enjoy all of that destination. So last summer, I spent two and a half, three weeks in Greece. Early this year, I spent three weeks in Morocco. And that has actually been something that I haven't really done in the past. Before, I would say, we're going to Asia, we're going to go to Japan, we're going to go to Singapore, we're going to go to Thailand, we're going to hit up five destinations in two and a half weeks. And you just realize that that you just can enjoy all of that. And I think that's actually helped with points booking as well, because instead of trying to find 10 flights, I'd rather, instead of trying to book 10 flights, my focus is on three or four really amazing flights. That makes sense. I think a lot of people who see accounts like yours or mine on Instagram have a belief that we are constantly just getting to travel for free, using points all the time, in all of these magical first-class cabins, we're staying in all of these five-star luxury resorts all the time. And I do want to let people know that's not everyone's reality all the time. People reuse content all the time. And sometimes it makes sense to use points, but sometimes you can find really good cash deals here as well. Or sometimes 
It can be a blend. So can you talk a little bit about the strategies that you're using to book all of these? Are they always on points for you? Or do you ever say like, oh, I found this business class flight and it's 90% off of the ticket price. I'm just going to pay money for it. Do you ever do that? Absolutely. I, The way that I look at points is treat every hard-earned point like cash. And it's part of my assets. I, I, you know, you have your cash, your liquid assets, and then you have your virtual assets. And collectively, that's kind of your your budgets, right? I'm very, I love to optimize, and that's a word that I, I, I kind of throw around being savvy. I like to optimize the trip. So where I will pay with points to say redeem for a flight, I might pay with cash for the hotel because you can't earn points unless you spend, and that's sort of the reality of being in the points world. And valuing that is that you have to spend to earn points. But if I'm going to spend, I want to make sure I earn as much points as I can humanly possible. So last year, I I spent about 619,000 points in total. But then I will also fly a lot because I'm a big Alaska flyer. So geographically, Alaska and San Francisco is is a big part of my points earning strategy. And so last year, I was able to earn about 200,000 Alaska points by flying them exclusively. I consolidate all my flying with them and I spend with them quite a lot so that I can offset it when I travel internationally and redeem for, say, a first class ticket on Qatar Airways or Emirates or Singapore. That's a good point, because I think there's also the belief on the Internet that people who are really good at this never spend any money. Points just spontaneously germinate in our bank accounts or whatever, and they just (laughs) pop up because of some super hacky hack, like we go into a secret website and type in a secret password. And then they're like, hey, Albert, here's some points for you today, which is absolutely not how it works most of the time. If you want to earn all the points, then sometimes there are the credit card bonuses, sometimes that you are paying for travel either with airlines or hotels. But there are certain websites where like you can stack your stuff or like there's promos here and there for grabbing points, but that's not how to consistently do it every single time. So there's lots of different tips and tricks. Some of them are low effort, some are high effort, some are low points earnings, some are high points earnings, but there's so many different types of strategies. Do you find any other just kind of weird beliefs like that about how the points world works? Oh, oh 100%. And of course, what you see on Instagram is is sort of the a very curated feed and it's designed that way to really showcase the best of what I'm doing. And of course the points travel, but where every first class flight that I've taken, there's tens of 20 hours spent planning for it and earning the miles to fund it and and then eventually taking it. So there's certainly no, I, I would never hide that information and I think everybody should be aware of that. I think the other point in part of your 100th podcast, and I think something very controversial that I love to talk about is you will never hear me use the word travel hacking. Um, I'm not a believer of the word hacking because I think it undermines and undervalues a lot of what we do day to day. I believe in the, the fact that we're using a versus a backdoor approach to traveling. We're actually going through the front door. What we are doing is maximizing the allowable terms of a program. And we've sort of found out a way to be savvy and smart about it, right? I think for me, travel hacking actually gives a really negative impression about how you get into first class because 
there's sort of, I think it takes away from what we do uh, in terms of points travel. And the effort and the work that it takes to earn points sometimes because people do think like, oh, I'm just going to pull up my little computer terminal and then type in some code. That's right. not how 99% of us are getting any of our points. There's exceptions. Um, yeah. But most of the time, there's work that needs to be done. Not always like a ton of work. Like you're not just constantly spinning your wheels and there are ways to do this a little bit more elegantly. But yeah, that is one of the myths of travel hacking is that we are all computer science geniuses who hacked into American Airlines and that's absolutely not what's going on. Right. And I think being in San Francisco and Silicon Valley, hacking is obviously a, a very, you know, it's like a four-letter word. I think in my day-to-day, I'm actually quite, I like to consider myself a value-driven person. So I'll spend, I sort of like to design my life around sort of a high-low lifestyle. There are aspects where I'm comfortable spending on a valuable experience or one that is hard to come by. But then on the flip side, on, on a given day, you, you earning points on everyday spend is really the only way that any of us can really build our points balances. Yes, I will take advantage of welcome bonuses, but beyond that, it's shopping portals, using the right card for the right purchase, spending wisely. I only buy things exclusively online to take advantage of deals. But there is this kind of frugality that I think we all, every end of the points world understands in that you have to spend to earn points and there's no travel. That's not a myth. That's sort of the reality of this. I also like to maintain a points balance of about 1.5 million across all my currencies. Anytime I dip below that, I already feel like I need a bigger cushion. So I always like to ensure like if I'm able to spend on this one flight to Las Vegas on Alaska, sure, it might be a couple hundred dollars more than I would typically want to spend, but it's a last minute trip. I'll sort of take advantage of it. So, Speaking of frugality of money versus points, when have you seen that it makes more sense to use points versus cash or to use a blend? Do you have any kind of rules of thumbs for people of when does it make sense to go with which route? I think the most simple method for me is that I usually spend points on flights. And that usually is the sort of the big ticket item, especially if you're trying exclusively in business and first class. Spending fifteen thousand on an airline ticket is, is is just impossible for me. In part, for me, I'm sure it could be different for everybody, but for me, it's it's not quite justifiable. And I'll usually justify spending cash on hotels because that way you can optimize a little bit more, and you know you can kind of try different hotels, try different neighborhoods, and I think it forces you to experience more about the city that you're in. So, for example, I was in Greece and Santorini. And I think you're going to San- you're going to Greece soon too. If not, you've already gone, right? I already went. Okay, yep. perfect. So in Santorini, you know, there's there's sort of different parts and different areas of the island. And in Fira, which is sort of the central city, that you'll I'll stay a couple of days there and then I'll migrate towards the north end of Ia and then I'll spend a couple of nights there. And that way you can kind of optimize your hotel strategy. So I would say easiest is spend points on flights and then pay for cash for hotel. Unless it's something exorbitant, like I was at the St. Regis in Tahiti or the St. Regis in the Maldives, those obviously I'll use points for. This is interesting because it's pretty opposite from my my strategy. I tend to travel a lot more domestically these days than international. And so it's a lot of three-hour flights, four-hour flights here and there, sometimes one-hour flights. So I'm usually just paying money for those because 
I don't want to use up my points to fly to Boston, but we're staying in nicer hotels. So we're doing a lot of Hyatt hotels where I will either pay using points if I'm getting like two cents or more. And I do a lot of those bookings where there's, you're paying for the base room and then you use a suite upgrade or they have the cash plus points option where you're paying an extra 6,000 points or 9,000 points a night and getting upgraded to a premier suite because that can get a lot of value out of points that way. So I think this is really interesting. If you are traveling international a lot, yeah, anytime I'm crossing an ocean these days, we're spending points to be in business class. And then if it's a short domestic flight, that's where I'm going to earn a lot of my points because Amex Platinum earns 5x on flights and Chase Up by Reserve has really good trip protections. I, we've been using that a lot just because we're constantly paranoid that our flights are going to get canceled. And then a lot of the credit cards will come with recheck bags or lounge access or something. So it doesn't feel too much like economy except for the three hours that I'm physically on the plane. So there's lots of different ways to kind of blend points and cash because I know some people are like, well, if I ever use money again, did I just fail at points and miles? No. <laughs> nope. That's a great that's a great detail and caveat. You're you're absolutely right. Domestically, I'm exclusively cash. And like I said, I spend a lot of time flying Alaska. I'm a, I'm Alaska 100K. I used to be American Executive Platinum. Shout out to Alaska. They're an amazing airline. And if anybody has any doubts flying them, I highly recommend giving them a try. I've flown so many airlines and they're the reason why they're my go-to every single year now. But when it comes to flying Alaska, especially out of San Francisco, and this is an area where, to your point, I think any mistakes are around not being strategic. So geographically, take consideration of where you're at, right? For me, being in San Francisco, I either can fly United or Alaska. And choosing to consolidate my flying with either one of those will ultimately help me get ahead with earning more points and enjoy my travels. So for Alaska, their currency and their loyalty program is so valuable that I spend so much time flying with them so that I can use the points for bigger international trips. And I think there's more to be said around like status too, right? I think for me, status important, not because of the free upgrades. I think that's also a travel myth. Getting upgraded all the time is not, not necessarily the easiest thing to do. However, for me, what status is important for is earning exponentially more points, right? With status, you can 3x the amount of points you earn on a single flight. So for Alaska, if I'm buying a $100 ticket to LA, somebody without status will earn 300 miles, right? Somebody with status can earn up to 1,000 miles on the same flight for the same price. Yeah, that's a really good point too, is as I get status with Hyatt Globalist, Marriott Platinum, or Titanium, Hilton Diamond, all of those, that is another way that people are earning a ton of points really, really quickly. Because once you hit that status, it is not too bad to maintain it because you're earning a lot more points per stay. You can just afford to use those points to stay another couple nights if you need to without any more money coming out of your own pocket because, hey, like it's, it's free anyway and it makes it easier to maintain your elite status for the next year. So that's another trick of the trade for people who are frequent flyers and road warriors staying in hotels all the time. Absolutely. Status is a great tip and tool. And I think it's actually quite underutilized. I know there's this facade, like like you mentioned, when it comes to travel myths, status and getting in the front seat of first class 
and sort of expecting it, that's the part where I think you're going to, you're not going to have the best experience if you're expecting to be upgraded exclusively on status. You have to spend a little bit to get up there if you really want that first class seat, even domestically. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be you spending it. Like if you are a salesperson or a consultant or you have some kind of job where somebody's paying for it, you don't necessarily have to be the one who's paying for it as well. So as long as somebody's paying for you to take these flights or if you have a job where you can be reimbursed for a lot of the different expenses like work expenses or if you have your own business that pays for a lot of this. So there's tons of different strategies for how you can earn all of these points without having to backdoor your way into the Marriott corporate coast. That's a great, being strategic and savvy and smart is ultimately what I like to promote on our channels and page. And that's also why our company Foxtrot Dash really believes in inspiring points, confidence, and treating every hard-earned point like cash because for what you see on Instagram, there's a lot of time that goes into redeeming those flights. And you know about this and so many do too. Once you get your first redemption, you will finally understand the challenges of finding an award seat, nonetheless two or three. But I I love to hear it when people have intention behind their travel versus like, I'm just going to open up every new credit card I see. And that for me is, that is like a surface level kind of Yes, it's a great way to just kind of get started and build your points balance quickly, but that's not going to be how you can sustain your points balances for five to 10 years at a time. If you're looking to continually travel every year, have that one big trip a year, you're going to have to do more than just opening up a lot of credit cards. And I think in terms of like travel myths, maybe we should call this session travel myths or points myths. But while opening up credit cards does not necessarily hurt your credit score, it does impact your ability to buy a home or it does impact your ability to say purchase like a car because you're not able to get the best loans with excess credit open. So there are still trade-offs and I'm somebody who definitely has a lot of credit cards. I'm not going to you know, deny that, but I'm not opening up 10 credit cards a year. Great point. I have 20 credit cards and I've also taken to not sharing all of them on my stories all the time because I feel like my Instagram feed right now is just everybody being like, here's how you get more points. Open another one of my cards, use my links. I'm like, "Mm, there's other ways. There's other ways between opening a new card versus manufacturer spending all of these things and like hacking into a Walmart system just to get more points that way there's like a middle ground that once you learn certain consistent habits you can generate these points optimally with the spend that you're doing there's different apps and websites that you can use for stacking but yeah there's there's more to it than just oh open up another credit card use my links oh a hundred percent i mean if if i can tell you all the times i've had conversations with friends where I will tell them that even a even buying paper towels for the kitchen, I will do that online through Walgreens during an accelerator using the right credit card because that pack of you know paper towels could be the tipping point to getting enough points to redeem on Singapore Suites, right? These are the this is how methodical and disciplined I am when it comes to earning points. There's not a single dollar that leaves my pocket that I have not earned at least five to 10 points on. 
Yeah, for sure. And that's how you can get <laughs> millions and millions of points to fly all over the world using points and miles. Tell us a little bit about Foxtrot Dash and how does that work? Does it work for earning more points or redeeming points? What does the service do? Yeah. So Foxtrot Dash is my startup base in San Francisco. And this is a shout out to my team as well, who works incredibly hard building this product and creating the experience that you see today. It answers the question about what can I do with my points and what is it valued? So we are here to inspire points confidence. It's a new way to manage and maximize your points. So sign up. It's a freemium product. Everyone can sign up for free. It is a subscription base for additional features. But once you sign up, it centralizes your points, credit cards, and your loyalty program. So in the system, there's about 30,000 different ways to redeem your points from flying first class to business class, all the way to staying at overwater bungalows in Tahiti. And it's a really fun product. It's almost like a maximized calculator, if you will. So input your points and it'll give you all sorts of different ideas of what your points are worth. In true Jet Albert fashion, it is, I, I really love the look and feel of it as well. It's very brand forward. We've taken a lot of time to design the front end experience so that it looks very polished and elegant. And it's a product that you can use every day to just get ideas of what your points are worth. Our users have told us that about 90% of them feel more confident using our points after using our product. So we believe in building points confidence, and we can see a world where points travel outpaces cash bookings. I can't believe we've already recorded more than 100 podcast episodes. It feels like we just started yesterday, but we've already covered so many great points and miles strategies on this show and have many more to come. If you're new to this show or looking to level up your points game quickly, I offer a bunch of resources at geobreezetravel.com slash start here. It includes links to free consults, free trials to some of my favorite points tools, and also links to services like group coaching, which start at only $5 per session through the Patreon. Again, that's geobreezetravel.com slash start here, which I have linked for you in the show notes. And speaking of the Patreon, this week's Patreon shout out goes out to Amy. Thank you so much for being a part of the GeoBreeze Travel Patreon community. When you said it's a manual process, does that mean it, it's not one of those integrated things where you give it your United Frequent Flyer ID and your United Password, and then it scrapes all of the United stuff? You're just typing all of the stuff in yourself to make it more Correct. secure so that in case there's a data breach, it wasn't because of Boxtraw Dash trying to connect to your Alaska account because you typed everything in. So it's not just trying to connect with your passwords to all of your different fl frequent flyer accounts. Is that correct? Well, we are a financial tech company. So security and safety is our number one priority. And whether we integrate, when we integrate, it'll always, we will always take a very serious approach to security. So I'm not concerned about that at all. But as far as the integration piece, I found that sort of comparable products become entirely unusable if the integration does not work properly. And then you're spending countless hours trying to figure out why. And then you have a lot of development hours going into sort of fixing a single problem. For us, we wanted to get to market quickly and we wanted a product that people can use today. And whether you have credit card points or not, it is something that you can just plug in and just explore and have fun and kind of spend hours understanding what your points are worth, right? Let's just say you're somebody who is exclusively Chase and you're interested in using you know, signing up for an Amex card. But you still want to know what your points are worth and what Amex can do. You can use our product to do that. So you can plug in, what can 100,000 points do for me if I have Amex? It'll give you a bunch of ideas of how to use it. So 
we wanted a product that can be used for somebody who's new, somebody who's experienced into the points world, somebody who has no experience in a credit card, somebody who has a ton of experience in credit cards. As you are going through with these different ideas that it comes up with as you're using the app, does it also tell you anything about like blending cash with points and saying, hey, British Airways has really high surcharges. It might be better instead go with this Air France cash deal. Does it tell you anything like that? In the sense of valuation, yes. So our product will help you figure out what is the best value use of your points and a low value of your points. And so that kind of comes with our proprietary algorithm that we're trying to design, which measures both qualitative and quantitative variables. When it comes to higher taxes or maybe lower points conversions, it takes all that into consideration. So you'll see this is a best value redemption. This is a mid value redemption. This is a low value redemption for these reasons. And in particular, BA, as we know, has very high surcharges for fuels and fees, which makes using points on them not very appealing. And so, yes, we've taken that into consideration. Our next rounds of development will then start to integrate what market rates are for, say, cash bookings. If you you wanted to actually book this ticket, what does that look like versus how many points does that take and does it take? Does this work just for airline bookings or do you have hotel recommendations in there as well? Hotel as well. So we have three categories. We track the major four credit card companies. We track six different airline programs and then we're tracking the four major hotel programs. Um, And so we're looking to expand that in the future. But for now, again, we just wanted to get a product out there that you can use today. So Foxtrot Dash has over 30,000 different ways to use your points across airlines and hotels. So you never have to check another reward chart again. And sort of a final point about this is that because programs are dynamically priced now, one of the biggest questions I get, as I'm sure you do, is, is this a good value? Like I'm I'm checking for reward availability right now and I'm seeing X amount for the Park Hyatt in New York. Is this a good value? Well, with our product, we've actually found the best values based off of our team crawling these programs and really analyzing it on a day-to-day basis, it'll give you a good reference point in terms of a baseline comparison. Yeah, that makes sense. I know that's one of the most common questions I get on my Instagram is people saying, hey, I found this deal. Is it a good deal? Like good in quotes and how do you know if you're getting a good deal? So instead of the usual math formula that I tell people about like cents for point redemption and everything, I love how your product just actually says in English, this is okay, this is not really okay. This is high value, low value, medium value. And from there, you can decide, okay, maybe it's low value, but it's an emergency and I need to take this flight. So sometimes it's still worth it. Even with that, I can say from an actuarial background, math is not everything and decisions still need to have a human element. But I like that that's part of what yours does. It actually explains in human terms, like, oh, sense per point valuation is good, but, you know, surcharges, not great. So Consider that too. And then there's also all the variables that the user would bring to it as well, such as, but this is an emergency and I need to escape this hurricane right now. Like if you need to use your points to escape (laughs) your hurricane, forget sense for point valuation, just get out of there. And Foxtrot really personalizes the journey where we're trying to shift the dialogue from influencer-led to service-based. It's easy to follow influencers like me and you can follow everything that I do to a T But we're trying to empower and build points confidence so that the next generation of users can 
figure out their own goals and be able to use points that make sense for their their life. And to your point, if you don't value using points on a first class trip because you're not interested in that, that's okay. But as long as you know both sides of the coin, I want to make sure that people understand that it's not monopoly money and that you shouldn't just kind of throw it away. It's like, oh, here's a $25 gift card. You're you're overpaying for something that you probably wouldn't have done so if you knew that it had higher value. And I really love the point that you made about going from influencer-led to more service-led because influencer is such a weird term. And I know I use it all the time. And I know that I'm an Instagram influencer for points. But I do really want to encourage people to do the critical thinking and figuring out what works best for your strategy and for the style of travel that you guys want to do rather than just saying, here's my 20 favorite cards this month. Use all my links. Thank you. Like that, it's very weird to me. And I would much rather say, here's how to think through the strategy and here's the tools that I use. Please go forth and think intentionally about what you want to do with your points. I think that's such a better message than, look, you don't have to think for yourself. That's just such a strange concept to me of like, I've influenced your decisions by you not having to think anymore. I would much prefer everybody listening to this podcast and following me on Instagram learn how to navigate the point space on their own. For anyone that is in the points world will tell you that we've all made mistakes and you're going to make a mistake. You might overpay for a flight or a hotel. And I will be the first to tell you that I've made mistakes as well. And that's okay. I think as long as you you continue to be strategic about it and learn and grow from that, it really becomes second nature when it comes to traveling. Yep, absolutely. Couldn't agree with you more there. As we kind of wrap up with everything that you've learned about points and miles and how to integrate cash bookings in with your point strategy, when to be frugal with points, when to spend your points, if you had to wrap up all of that, what would you say is your number one piece of advice for points people listening today? The number one tip that I have, and it really comes with 10 plus years of making points bookings and enjoying a lot of different types of travel adventures, treat every hard earned point like cash. That's my number one tip. And we like to say at Foxtrot Dash that we want to help you own your points wallet. Um, Really consider your points to be part of your overall assets. It's part of your spending make it part of your budgets. We believe we want to create a world where points and cash can coexist. And I think the future of points travel will be really interesting to see as the next generation of points users are so much more comfortable with credit cards. They're so much more comfortable with kind of virtual everything. And so what I would encourage everyone to do is continue to treat every hard-earned point like cash and know that if you're redeeming for an economy class ticket, you likely are overspending there. But as long as you're okay with that strategy, then of course, book with confidence, but just know that there's many ways to spend your points and everyone should personalize that for their own points journey. Great advice. And speaking of great advice, can you give a shout out to somebody else on the internet who listeners should go follow for awesome points and miles tips? Yeah, of course. Well, you have hundred, you have a hundred of amazing points travelers. So it's kind of difficult to find just one because they've already been credited. I want to give a shout out to Jarvis on Instagram. He's the luxury traveler. 
I would say he really inspires me. His content is not only stunning, but he really takes a very knowledgeable and smart approach to spending points. And I have and still continue to look up to Jarvis for the points tips. Perfect. And where can we find you on the internet? On Instagram, I'm at Jed Albert, jedalbert.com. And I also, for Foxtrot Dash, you can visit us at Foxtrot Dash on Instagram and foxtrotdash.com. And would encourage everybody to sign up. It's a great tool. And hopefully this is, I'm sure there'll be more to come with Julia here as we talk more about Foxtrot Dash in the future. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for coming onto the show. We learned so much about how to incorporate cash bookings and points bookings further into your overall point strategy. So thank you so much for coming onto the show. Thanks again for having me, Julia. It's been a pleasure chatting with you about all things points. You know that we can talk hours about this and I love chatting with you about this. Congratulations on your 100th podcast. I can't wait to see what your next 100th looks like. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of the GeoBreeze Travel Podcast. If any of the cards mentioned in today's episode piqued your interest, please check out the links in the show notes for more information on any of the cards. Also, if you apply for a card using the links on that page, I may receive a commission too, so please and thank you. P.S. I hear the links work better in Internet Explorer or Safari, and sometimes the credit card applications tend to glitch out in Chrome. Additionally, it would mean the world to me if you could subscribe to this podcast, leave a five-star review, and share it with a friend. And if you would like to make even more travel hacking friends, please sign up for the Patreon to access our monthly masterclass hangouts. We dive deep into a particular points program each month, and you'll get to ask all of your travel hacking questions and enjoy being around other people who enjoy points and miles just as much as you and I do. If you would like an invite to the next one, head over to geobreezetravel.com hangouts to sign up to be on the invite list. Take care and happy travels!